All right, thank you all for praying together. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you don't have one, there is one on the hymnal rack in front of you, or you probably carried a device in that can pull one up uh, if you want to look at one that way. But I I hope you have a Bible, and I love reading the Bible in my own time, but I love more than anything reading the Bible together as a church family. Um, This is going to be a very interesting chapter for us to study, one that uh, I think tragically and unfortunately, one that you probably have haven't studied all that much, and, and maybe you're a scholar on this chapter, and, and, and I hope that you are, and, and maybe you are an expert on the subject tonight, but if you aren't, like I have a hunch, maybe most of us aren't, um, we're in a good place, uh, because we are jumping into what is probably the most, one of the most unread, overlooked passages in the New Testament. Uh, I don't think that's an, uh, an overstatement. Uh, I just think flat out that we probably look at this chapter less than we look at most New Testament chapters. There's a lot of Old Testament chapters that maybe we skip over and pass over. Uh, but when it comes to New Testament, when it comes to uh, the, 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 the word that God gave the churches uh, in, in this uh, age of grace, I think probably less attention from, uh, is given to this chapter than the average New Testament text, uh, unless you're of a particular segment of the church. And uh, again, uh, I think speaking to us, a group like ours, uh, much of what we talk about tonight may seem foreign to us. And I don't think that it's, all, it's that we don't believe in it or we don't understand it, but that we've never put it in the terms that this chapter talks about it in, and, and, and it'll make more sense as we go along tonight. Uh, for that reason, though, uh, we, we have come tonight uh, to learn something. I think the reason why you're here is because you want to learn something, and, and I think you're going to leave here tonight learning a lot of something. Uh, the reason these chapters don't draw as much attention and uh, maybe are even avoided in some cases is because this block of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to kind of talk about this whole section for a minute before we get into our text, but this whole block of 1 Corinthians, chapters 12 through 14, uh, this whole block, um, a, a basic level of commitment to the church is assumed and required for anyone to get the most out of these chapters, or maybe to get anything out of these chapters. So the reason why I think maybe uh, more casual Christians or, or, or people that are kind of uh, churches that are more geared toward just kind of people coming in and spectating and kind of leaving without getting rooted and discipled, uh, uh, these, this chapter and, and these, these group of chapters in 1 Corinthians, they assume a level of commitment to the church that is required for us to get anything out of these uh, or get what we were supposed to get out of them or as the Spirit in, intended. Uh, by all means, we all know chapter 13 very well, but we often don't connect it to what bookends it, which is 12 and, and 14. So when it comes to this section of 1 Corinthians, uh, the overarching interconnected message uh, is that there's a certain buy-in required for any of us to read chapters 12, 13, and 14 to even stay afloat. It's kind of like this. You you might you know, casually watch uh, the local news and pay attention to what's going on in the sports world. But unless you really are into sports, you're probably not going to watch a dedicated sports network like ESPN, right? You're not going to watch ESPN or even more specifically, you're not going to watch a channel dedicated to certain kinds of sport if you're not interested or into that sport. You might watch the local news and say, hey, wow, they won the big game or they won the big event. But unless you're into it, you're not going to look into the further dedicated channels. But the thing about these chapters uh, is that unless we're all into the church, you're probably not paying much attention to them, uh, which, which is un- unfortunate uh, because we're all kind of supposed to be committed to that same, in that same way. So let me put it this way. If you read chapters 12, 13, and 14, and, and your eyes kind of glaze over, and, and you think, what the heck is all this about? Uh, you're probably in the average camp of how people respond to these texts. You, you may think, you know, being a church member, you may hear things from chapters 12, 13, and 14, and, and you may, you know, ask yourself or respond um, when 
Chapter 12 says that as a church member, we're accountable and responsible for each other. Uh, you might think, really? You know, I, I thought it was just me and Jesus. I mean, what, what do you mean I'm responsible for my fellow church member? What do you mean I'm accountable to my church member? You might read chapter 13 and, and you hear this message of love and you think, what do you mean I'm expected to love everyone. What do you mean that the greatest measure of my faith isn't how holy I am or isn't how much I give or how, you know, how obedient I am? What do you mean that the greatest measure of my faith is how much I love my brother and sister in Christ? And you may get to chapter 14 and you may hear things about prophecy and prophesying in tongues. You may hear things about spiritual gifts and you think, well, what do you mean that there's these spiritual gifts and what do they have to do with my faith in Jesus? And again, if you've never really talked about this or never really studied this, it might seem like Greek to you. But thankfully, it was translated into English, so it doesn't have to be Greek to you, right? But I'm not trying to buck fun at anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel like you know, you're completely out to pasture if this does doesn't resonate with you. Uh, but if this stuff seems too deep for you or too extreme for you, um, it, it's because uh, you've really got to be all in on the church for it to make any sense. You've got to be so focused on and so interested in every element and every aspect of the church for any of this to really make sense to you. And, and again, I'm not trying to say that you're, you're not a Christian if you don't understand it or you aren't where you should be if you don't understand it. I'm just saying it's going to take a little bit of a deeper dive for you to understand it. And tonight, I hope, is that invitation for you to move a little closer. So as it turns out, this, this, these chapters aren't supposed to be just for the super devoted. Uh, these chapters aren't supposed to be for people who are extreme about their faith. Uh, they're supposed to be for everybody. They're supposed to be for every Christian. You know, when the Bible talks about our salvation, it talks about us being in Christ. The Bible doesn't you know, distinguish between those who are kind of in and those who are all in. The Bible doesn't say, well, there's some that are casual and there's some that make it a lifestyle. The Bible assumes that if you're in Christ, you're all the way in, right? If you're in Christ, you're walking in him, you're in a lifestyle. You know, of course there's people who take it more casually. Of course there's people who are not as in as they should be. But, but that's not an excuse. That's just the reality that, 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 that a lot of us live in and the invitation is that we might come closer because there is always a closer walk to have. Uh, so God allows for room for us to grow. So if you aren't where you should be and if tonight you feel really out of place, that's okay. But just consider these chapters that we've studied and that we're going to study tonight. Consider these chapters, heaven's call, that if you're not all in yet, these chapters compel you to dig in and, and dive in and get further in to Jesus. Otherwise, otherwise, you might bounce right off of these texts. Otherwise, you might hear this talk about being in the body of Christ and being devoted to each other and being, you know, accountable to each other and having gifts that are meant to be in service to each other. Otherwise, you hear these, these, these sermons and these messages and the, you read these texts and it just kind of bounces off your forehead and you think, you know, hey, not really much there for me because I don't really know what that means for me. So I think we all want what God has for us. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't want more of what God had for you. Uh, I, I don't want anybody to be confused or lost regarding anything that God has for you. So we're going to take it very slow and, and very measured in our approach tonight. Uh, so I want to share with you a couple of goals that we have or I have for this text tonight that I want to touch on. Number one, the goal is that we further explain how the church's focus should be on what edifies the whole, not what spotlights the one. 
So we're going to be very intentional tonight that the goal of, of this chapter is not what spotlights the one, but what edifies the whole. Uh, we also are going to be intentional uh, uh, and talk about how we uh, interact with each other as Christians. And, and for us to really get a hold of what God has for us, we've got to be intentional in our approach to one another. That we've got to be intentional in our dedication to one another. That we're not just going to kind of, you know, walk in and, and wave and, and, and get out as quick as we can. If we, want to, if we want to get to where God wants us to be, if we want to get the most out of these chapters that we've been studying, uh, we've got to be intentional about our focus to one another as members of the body of Christ. This chapter leans into the idea that the church is the body of Christ, that we don't just bump into each other as members of his body. We intentionally and out of necessity interact with each other. This chapter really has an assumption that we have all joined the church with a desire to and an understanding that as Christians, we all are called to be cogs in a much greater machine. Let me explain. With this picture, let's back up and hit the space bar. Should, yeah, back up. Just hit it once. You see how each cog, as they turn, they facilitate another one to turn. That as members of the body of Christ, each cog is important for the greater machine to function as it's meant to. And if you take one of those cogs, one of those wheels, one of those parts out of the machine, the machine suddenly stops working. Does that make sense? That that's the picture that Paul is painting in 1 Corinthians, especially chapters 12, 13, and 14. That it's so much more personal than cogs in a machine, right? But I, I think that imagery helps. Uh, whether we feel like it or not, the Bible commands us to find our place and seek out our place in the church as, it much, as much as it calls us to find our place in Christ. And as we've learned, that our place in the church is an extension and natural next step after finding our place in Christ, because what has 1 Corinthians taught us about being in Christ? If we're in Christ, we're in his body that we're, we're in church. So to be in Christ is to be in church, involved in church, in a part of the church community. So really, Paul, what Paul's been doing is encouraging and enlightening us on the importance of this for every believer. So back in chapter 12, he introduced us to spiritual gifts. You were here, if you were here for that, if you weren't, I'm sure you've uh, studied that chapter before. He had two goals in that chapter. The first one was to, was to speak to the Christian who wonders if they need to be involved in the church. So Paul says, hey, if you're a Christian, God wants to gift you, God wants to equip you with his spirit, and God wants to enable you to be involved in his church community, and there are specific gifts that the spirit of God wants to give you that only really serve a purpose if you're a part of the church community. That these gifts don't have a purpose outside of the church, but they only find their purpose inside or as a member of the church. You understand what these gifts are all about. As in, God is not interested in a bunch of, you know, uh, individual people who who all say they're kind of on their own operating. That's not how it works. Because if we're in the body of Christ, we're connected to other bodies, other members of his body. So he, he says, I'm writing to you, first off, to those that wonder if they need to be involved. To those of you that wonder, you know, should I be involved in the body of Christ? Absolutely, you should. And if you are in the church, but you kind of are casual about it, you kind of come in, sit down and leave. If you wonder, should you go deeper? Should you get involved? Of course you should. Because God wants to equip you with gifts that really only find their purpose when you are committed to the, the overall good of the church. And, 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 he, and he speaks also to the Christian who only sees the church as a stage for their own performance and for their own glory. 
that there are some that only see the church as a platform for how they can show off and how, and I don't mean they, I don't think people, people intentionally do this or only do this, you know, arrogantly, but I think people don't realize it. You people come to the church and their immediate goal is, hey, how can I be in the spotlight? Because it's really I need to show off how holy I am. And, and, and again, some people are that overt. Some people just kind of do it other, uh, so subtly. But he's writing to the Christian who thinks that the church is really just about them and God and they're just there to kind of, you know, make sure they show off how holy they are. Paul says, whoa, 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 the, you're you're here to contribute to the greater body. You're not just here to show off how good you are, how holy you are, and, and, and to, you know, let all your ribbons be seen. You know, it's not about you. It's about us. So we've learned about the gifts, how they are tied to the church. Uh, but, but Paul, at the end of chapter 12, made this distinction. We won't all be gifted the same way, but we are all called to love in the same way. So that's why chapter 13 is written between these two chapters. After chapter 12, where Paul says, hey, we're all gifted spiritually. He says, but by the way, you're not all going to be gifted the same way. That's okay. You're not all going to receive the same gifts. Some of you might receive one gift. Some of you might receive all the gifts. But you, regardless, the most important thing as a Christian isn't how gifted you are, isn't how holy you are, isn't what you can do and, and what others might can't do. It's how you love one another because whether you're gifted or not you all have the capacity to love and that is the greatest measure of your faith as members of the body of Christ we are called to love one another and, and really when you think about it being around others that we otherwise are unrelated to and unbothered by being around and involved with others helps us to helps us to and leads us into caring for and considering God's greater kingdom which is why, again, it being intentional matters about the local church. Paul doubles down on love as being all that matters. How can we love one another if we're not involved with and actively seeking to be in community with one another? And somebody would, would say to me, well, that's exactly why I'm not involved. I don't really love, I don't want to love people. Hey, that, that, maybe that's the problem, right? You know, I'm not involved because I don't want to be around other people. And again, I, I know everybody's got different personalities, but Paul says, hey, if you want to get all that Jesus has for you, if you want to understand what it means to be in Christ, then you've got to be in church. And if you're in church, then you're going to have to love each other and you're going to learn how to love the world for the people that they are to show them the God that you serve. To avoid such, to avoid the calling over you to be a part of the body is the most unloving, selfish, destructive thing you could do. Now, chapter 14, Paul is going to circle back to the spiritual gift conversation, specifically He's going to talk about two gifts. There's more than two gifts, but he's going to focus on two gifts because they represent two ends of the spectrum. And he's going to talk about how one over the other brings about a specific benefit to the church community. Now, normally we don't go so glacially slow through a chapter, but I want to make sure we get this tonight. So if you wonder, hey, what are, where are we going to move? We'll move eventually, but y'all know how this works sometimes. Uh, but he's taught us about being in the body. He's told us that we, we must love the body. But now he's going to talk to us about building up the body in a way that would be impossible if we weren't closely knit and united in the bond of love. So chapter 14 opens up with Paul admonishing and encouraging all to desire and pray for spiritual gifts in their lives. These encounters with God that become dominant features in our lives. Out of all the different ones that he mentioned back in chapter 12, he focuses on a single gift that he says we should all want that every one of you should pray for the most. Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love, as in, hey, that's the main thing. Love one another and desire spiritual gifts, but especially 
that you may prophesy. So we're all called to love. We're all expected to pursue love no matter what. No excuses. But as far as the spiritual gifts, the one that we should want the most is that we may prophesy. Now we need to clarify what it means to prophesy because this word can get taken in all sorts of wild directions. Prophecy means to speak forth a word from God inspired by the word of God. Notice the difference in a word and the word, right? That's important. Inspired by the word of God, boldly proclaiming his truth. But, but the core of prophesying is speaking forth and it's rooted in what's already been written. Do you, do you see the, 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 the importance there? God's word, complete God's word, final God's word, as inspired as it will ever be. And prophecy, though, involves speaking forth on behalf of how God's word has been speaking to us. Now, to prophesy, we often associate that with, maybe you only associate it with making predictions. Maybe that's something you thought about before, or maybe you thought this was the only thing that was all it was talking about. It can mean that but only if the word of God was given in that way. Now, here's what I mean. In the Old Testament, the prophets weren't called prophets because they predicted the future. That's just something that they did because God gave them the word. But anytime you read in the Old Testament, the prophets, they weren't the ones predicting the future. It was God talking through them, right? You read Isaiah and it says, thus says the Lord. Isaiah is just a vessel. Isaiah is just telling you what God expressed to him. So the Old Testament prophets were not called that because they predicted the future. They were given that mantle because they proclaimed the truth. Of course, the truth was revealed to them. But they didn't only talk about the future. I think we often forget this about the Old Testament prophets. Most of the prophets' content, I would say 90% of the prophets in the Old Testament, mainly it was about them speaking up with truth, as in going to the powers, going to the masses. This is what God's will is. This is what God says we should be doing. That's 90% of the prophets. Them speaking up and speaking out the word of God to the people of God or even the world. But also they often were reaching out to believers that were struggling to hold on, encouraging them. Isaiah is speaking out to the kings, but also he's reaching out to the remnant of believers who are struggling, encouraging them to have hope and to hold on. 90% of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets really are sermons like you hear in church today. God says this, this is what it means. God says we should do this, so here's how we can do this. Maybe 10% of those books, and that's still a lot, but 10% is often about predictions, and that's what gets all the attention. And we hear the word prophesy, and we think, well, that's just talking about predicting the future. It entails that, but that was really just because they were getting the word of God revealed to them. So a prophet called by God, anointed by God, but they don't only see the future, they mostly just proclaim God's word. So I want you to, when you hear prophecy, when you hear prophesy, when you hear that, that idea of, 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 of prophesying, don't think, well, that's just someone who can see the future. Listen, the Bible's already revealed God's prophetic plans, right? God's already told us what his plans are for the future. But being a prophet, being, having a prophetic voice means that we speak out God's word as we see how it can be applied. They, the prophets of old may reveal prophecies, but mostly they just prophesied about things that God has said in ways that he wants to work in our lives. Now, I know that 
might be me being very particular with, with uh, distinctions, but I think that's important because otherwise you see the, you see the word prophesy and you make, you make it about a very specific thing that really isn't what it's about. Now, in our case, the revelation has been given, or at least the basis for it. All the prophecies have been written down. So let me make a very important distinction that some might would disagree, about, disagree with me about, but I'm just giving it to you based on the word of God and, and based on how I think that, or how I know that the, the word of God defines this. The gift of prophesying is rooted in God's established, completed revelation. That's the Bible. It's established, it's completed. There's nothing new that's going to be added. Yet those who possess this gift often are gifted with special, specific insight. So to button all this up, Paul is saying if there's one spiritual gift we should pursue, it should be the gift of prophecy. Now he's writing that to you. He's not just writing this to preachers. He's not just writing this to super holy people that, that, that live on a mountain somewhere. He's writing this to you. So if this word seems really, if this seems weird to you or seems way out of your league, listen, it's not out of your league. It's Paul says you should, you should pray that God give you this gift. So what does it look like practically? What does it look like in terms of you receiving this gift and exercising this gift? The gift of prophecy really comes down to taking God's word and applying it to a particular situation, receiving inspiration that compels you to speak up for God to whomever he leads. Now, I don't want to make it too simple, or I don't want to make it unspiritual, because there's so much of God's spirit in that. It's you being a student of God's word. It's you being faithful to God's word, studying God's word, and you allowing the spirit of God to open your eyes and showing you that this word, this scripture, this truth is actually very pertinent to a very specific real situation in the world, in your life right now. It, it might not just be about you. Most likely it's going to be about somebody else. It's going to be a word that God shows you that can help someone, encourage someone, equip someone. Now, this is not referring to modern-day prophets who all of a sudden come down the mountain and say, hey, I know something that you don't know, and it's not in the Bible. That, that's not what this gift is. This gift is the scriptures are completed, the scriptures are inspired, so how can we, empowered by the Spirit, equipped with the Scripture, speak the truth of God to a world that so desperately needs it? Does that make sense? So, so God is praying, or God is hoping, and Paul is praying that we would all find a prophetic voice. So when you hear somebody refer to someone as a modern-day prophet, this is what they're talking about. That they have a voice that speaks boldly and powerfully and clearly the word of God. And it's not just vague. It's not just broad. But it makes it personal. It makes it practical. It makes it something that all of a sudden that you or I, we feel like, hey, this is something that I need to do in my life right now. And God's word shows it, but it makes it very clear and very personal and very specific. Paul says, what would the world look like if the church of God was, was full of people who all had this prophetic voice? who were so dedicated and were so faithful and were so into God's word that God was using them to speak to people in their lives uniquely and with insight that you, you obviously, you, you could not deny that it was not from God, it was, that it was not from the spirit of God through the people of God. Now you might use the word, you might use words like wisdom or gifted to explain this gift, but Paul says the gift, what, what it is, it's the gift of prophecy. 
Paul says, I want you to pursue a gift of prophecy. He's saying that since we are joined together in the body of Christ, all seeking to edify one another, sharpen each other, support each other, being inclined towards God in such a way that God might use us to speak truth and grace into one another's lives through the power of God's Spirit. Now, let me just make this very clear. And I don't think, I don't think anybody here would abuse this. Now, you know, it's easy for someone who gets ahead of themselves to just abuse this and say, well, you know, just to designate themselves as a, as a prophet and they're just going to you know, take it upon themselves to tell everybody else, hey, I know what you should be doing with your life. You've got to have discernment, right? And you've you got to have discernment about, hey, what is this person telling me? Is it rooted in the Bible? You know, does it apply to me? But, but oftentimes when someone speaks to your life and they have that gift of prophecy, it, it don't, it, it's so empowering to feel what God is saying to you, otherwise they didn't know anything about you, right? They didn't know the situation you were going through, but God used that person and used their knowledge and used their gift to show and speak into your life. You know what this tells me is the fact that this is not just one of the gifts, but the most important of them, uh, we can bet on there being a great deal of things that God is not going to directly reveal to us. You hear that? There is a lot of things that God wants to show you that God wants you to know about, that there is no way you're going to ever obtain it on your own. Unless you're rooted and connected and united together in a church, we're going to miss out on many truths that God has for us. Because Paul says the gift of prophecy in the mem- through a member of the church, in the church, from each other, each member of the church, that this gift does not operate outside of that local community. And why do you need to be involved in it? Because there's things you might not ever receive from God unless you're a part of the community of God that he wants you to be involved in. You say, well, that's not fair. What's not fair about it? If you get saved, you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're in church, right? That's, the, that's what's advertised. People say, well, you know, what about the priesthood of all believers? Well, the Old Testament priesthood was not just one person. It was a group of people. It was a body of believers, Same model. So let me be clear. This is not just talking about sermons and preaching, even though that can be appropriate. I'm sure that God uses a a message that that people like me who have prepared a a sermon from God's spirit and through God's word, I'm sure there are times where uh, I don't know what you're going through and, and I didn't prepare the message for you, yet God used it to open your eyes and open your heart and speak into your life. That is the gift of prophecy, right? That is God working in a prophetic way where you heard God speaking to you, not just in general, but to you. But Paul does not believe, and and the Bible does not not, not suggest this is only from pulpit to people, pulpit to pew. This is something that can happen all throughout the church and is meant to happen all throughout the church. As we walk alongside each other, edify each other, God reveals truth to us all. And yes, there are things he may reveal to you about me and things he may reveal to me about you that we would not otherwise find out ourselves. That's why the church is essential. That's why community is vital. That's why loving one another is crucial because there's things we would not get if we were not here or wherever God has placed us in community. How else do you explain this? How else do you explain that the purpose of prophecy, the purpose of prophecy is entirely and total for, totally for the benefit of others? It's not so somebody can feel smart. God doesn't give me or you this gift so that we feel smart about ourselves. God gives us this gift entirely to benefit others. And it's the gift that Paul says we should desire the most. 
Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that speak to the importance of the church? Because the gift that Paul says we should all desire doesn't benefit us. It benefits others. There are things that you'll discover by reading God's word and by God's spirit communicating with you. There's things you'll discover that God might lay on your heart to share with someone else that he may never lay on your heart for you, but he lays it on for them and vice versa. That's why it's so important to be in community. That's why I know there's a part of us that that might offend us a little bit. We may feel insulted because I don't need to rely on you to rely on you for God to tell me something. Why can't God just tell me what he needs to tell me? Well, my response to you and to me is, welcome to the body of Christ. That's what what it's all about. And and for a lot of us, for a lot of people in certain parts of the church, this is brand new. We've never even heard this stuff, but you've still benefited from it. You just never, it maybe wasn't articulated this way. You've benefited from the church in so many ways, you've just never talked about it in this language before, maybe. Maybe. Listen, the gift of prophecy is on display through sermons, through songs, through worship leaders. A song that God laid on the worship leader's heart or the worship team's heart that speaks to you in a way that you didn't even realize you needed to be spoken to about, right? God works through prophecy through that way. There are uh, prophecy is worked through Sunday school teachers. It's worked through conversations that happen between services, before services, between classmates, between small group members. It shows up while you're waiting in line for fellowship. It shows up in business meetings. It shows up when you're just fellowshipping with each other. The point is that God may give you special insight that I never would have arrived at on my own, arrived at on my own. This is a gift that everyone can obtain. Listen, if, if the church took this serious, if we took this serious and all of a sudden we realized that our fellowship with the Spirit of God and our obedience to the Spirit of God not only has our good in mind, but has, or has, is our good on the line, but somebody else's good might be on the line. And we're not gonna, this gift is not about being judgmental. This gift is not about being an inspector. Oh, well, I can see that you're not living right. That's not how this gift is meant to be exercised. This gift is meant to be exercised to encourage, to edify, to build up. The point is, it's essential that we be involved, that you be involved, that I be involved, that we might obtain and exercise and receive this gift. Now, Paul is appealing to the church to pursue this gift in opposition to another gift that people are focusing on. Now, he's not saying this gift isn't real. He's not saying this gift isn't given. He's saying that I know a lot of you are looking at this other gift over here and thinking that's the one I want. But I'm saying to you, this is the gift you should want more. You should want most. Now, this other gift, it turns heads. It's a little bit flashy, a little bit shiny compared to the others. And that is the gift of tongues. Look at verse 2. So notice he says, especially that you may prophesy, and then he pivots. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries in verse three. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Do you see how he's doing a compare and contrast thing here? 
hey, y'all want this gift that you think makes you seem holier and, and it's, it's cool and, it, and it's, you know, it has that effect on people. People look and say, wow, look at, you know, wow, what kind of, what are, how, how are they gifted or what kind of gift do they have? And I've never heard that before and that's such a unique thing and clearly they're full of the Spirit of God. Yet Paul says the more beneficial gift, the most beneficial gift, the gift that you should desire the most and more is this gift of prophecy. Now, very briefly, we're going to go through and we're going to talk more about this next week. But briefly, I want to talk to you about this gift of tongues and why there are two different uh, ways to explain the gift of tongues depending on which, uh, which part of the gift that we're talking about. Now, let me explain. The gift of tongues shows up in two occasions in the Bible. Two occasions in the Bible. It's the Greek word glossolalia. Now, that's just the Greek word that means languages. It means, you know, you've heard of the word glossary. Glossary is the, where you look up definitions or, or different words. Glossolalia just means languages. Now, in the old days, when someone uh, referred to their tongue, they're referring to their language. And if you were to walk up to someone and say, hey, you know, what is your tongue? That would be, hey, what's your language? My tongue is English, and I may know other tongues. I can read Greek. I can read Hebrew. I can speak a little French, but not really good. So I would say, well, I know the tongue of French and Greek and Hebrew, but my main tongue is English. So when you read the word tongue in the Bible, it just refers to language. It refers to languages. But the gift of tongues, you say, well, if it's just referring to languages, then and why, it's, why is it being called a gift? Because if you can learn it, then that isn't, that's not a gift, right? I learned Greek. I learned Hebrew. I learned French. I didn't, that's not a gift, right? I mean, you know, I, I studied it, and I memorized it, and, and I became pretty decent with it. So let me explain. In Acts, the gift of tongues is first received and exercised on the day of Pentecost, it was to mark the work of redemption being offered to the world and signified God's hand to the nations. Acts 2 verse 4 says this. They were all the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this means they began to speak in other languages. Let me be very clear. They were speaking in, in, in known languages, discernible languages. These are not unknown tongues. We'll get, we'll get to that. These are known tongues because verse 5 tells us this very important nugget. There were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So Pentecost was a festival the Jews celebrated. There were people from all over the world that were gathering to celebrate this festival from all nations. And verse 6 tells us this. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, let me, let me tell you something that maybe you didn't know. Anybody who would have traveled in the ancient world knew Greek. Greek was the universal language, kind of like in today's world, people know English, if, even if they don't speak it in their first language. English is kind of the universal tongue. In the ancient world, Greek was the language that you learned if you were going to travel away from home. So everyone in Jerusalem could have heard the Greek language had the disciples just spoke in Greek. But God supernaturally gifted these men with the gift of language, the gift of tongues that pertain to the, the, the different nations that were gathered in Jerusalem. And each different nation, each different person from each different nation heard that language that they were speaking as it were of their own native tongue. Now, this is really all about God bringing together what he had confounded at Babel. Remember at Tower of Babel, they all spoke one language. He confounded them. They all separated because he was trying to prevent them from being united in their sin. 
All these years later, God uses the gift of tongues to unite the people back together. The gift was God changed their language to a known tongue. They spoke Hebrew natively. They spoke Greek natively, but he changed their tongue to speak to these men and women who were from other nations, and they heard it supernaturally interpreted in their ears. So that is an example of a known tongue supernaturally gifted interpreted. This is in a modern context, it's, it's like myself going on a mission trip or you going on a mission trip to another country and God supernaturally changing our language and changing the hearer's ears so that they might hear what needs to be said. Otherwise, it, it was an impossible barrier to overcome. But 1 Corinthians 14 is not referring to a known tongue. So I told you there's two ways, that, there's two kinds of gift of tongues. There's two gifts of tongues. A known tongue, as in Acts. But 1 Corinthians 14 refers to an unknown tongue. An unknown tongue, which is, as Paul explains it, a prayer language. A prayer language. Let me explain. God gives this gift of an unknown tongue to certain believers, yet Paul explains that it really only benefits the person with the gift, that there is a gift of tongue that benefits hearers that can be interpreted. We just talked about that in Acts. But this gift of an unknown tongue is meant to be a private and personal gift exercise in the prayer life of the individual. Romans 8, 26 says this, the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. That's the gift of tongues. That there is a gift that God gives believers, not every believer, but some believers, a prayer language in which they can connect with God and pray to God in a deeper and sweeter way than the average person can. But based on what Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians, the gift of unknown tongues, this prayer language, was not meant for public demonstration, but for personal, private devotion. Now, for some of us, we write off the gift of tongues entirely. Maybe you brought up, were brought up in a church and you were told this isn't, this isn't real or this isn't something that happens anymore. Uh, and, and maybe you only believe it happens the way it does in Acts. But I can't preach to you 1 Corinthians 14 without being very clear that there is an unknown tongue. It is a gift that God gives certain believers, but it is meant for their prayer life and it's meant to enrich their prayer life and make them a prayer warrior and asset to the local church. But what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 14 is that everyone at Corinth wanted this gift and wanted to exercise this gift out loud publicly and it was causing a lot of confusion. And it was causing a lot of uh, separation in the church. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the gift that you you should pursue for the church, edifying the church, for the church services, for the church community. That's a gift that God wants to give you, but, but, but that's a gift for your personal private use. And it's in line with how Jesus taught about prayer. Remember how Jesus taught in Matthew 6? When you prayed, you must not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues that they may be seen by others. I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm not discounting the gift. But I want to make sure that we understand, Paul wants to make sure we understand how this gift is meant to be exercised. Now, 
we'll get into more detail about this next week. But essentially, Paul's message about tongues versus prophecy is really a microcosm of church motives. Are we going for the spectacle or are we going for the practical? Do you see the difference? Do we want to be focused on what really gets the attention of people, what makes us feel good and what appeals to certain groups of people? Or are we here to make a difference in people's lives? Again, we'll study this deeper next week as we get deeper into this chapter. But the, the question he's asking us is, how are we edifying our brother and sister in Christ as individuals and as an institution? And I want you to think about these questions as we come back next week and talk deeper about what Paul is getting at here with the tongues and prophecy. But understand what he's saying. That our goal as church members should be what edifies the body, not what glorifies me. Not what is a spectacle to me and a spectacle to people like me, but what edifies and what makes a practical difference in the lives of the most people. This will help you understand the way I believe church should be done and the way the decisions that I make. And I'm not the only one that knows I don't have all the right answers, but this will help you understand a lot of the things that I do and ways that I preach and things that I believe. Because it comes down to, are we edifying the greater body? And why does Paul say you should pursue prophecy? Because that is the secret to building people up. That gets everyone in the word, gets everyone focused on the spirit of God and gets everyone as a willing vessel to speak the truth of God to people that need it. To get their tongues, it's real. Not everyone's gonna have it. Paul even says in this chapter, I have it and you've never heard me use it. And you probably won't. Because that's for me in my prayer time and that is a way I connect with God. But that's not about what we should be doing in church. It's about prophesying, speaking the truth of God. It's all about how can we make the impact that we need to make on the people of God to edify. Now you may have questions and I hope that you do. Come back next week. We'll get into more of this chapter. But we just scratched the surface of what it means to be all in and all about edifying the body and building up the body of Christ. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing us your word and making it simple and practical. God, I pray that you would give us all that gift of prophecy that gift that comes from studying your word, being a, a vessel for your word to be spoken through. Lord, give us all that discernment. Give us all that passion. Give us all that insight that we can read your word, be filled with your spirit, and speak your word out to those that are in need of it. God, use us to build up each other. Lord, we all pursue gifts. We all want to be gifted. We all want to be, make a difference. But Paul says, if you want to make the biggest difference, if you want to make the most difference, how can you be a blessing to your brother and sister in Christ? And it all comes down with how are you communicating? How are you contributing to the body of Christ? How are you building up the whole? Father, thank you for these gifts. Thank you for being sovereign in how you give out these gifts. Lord, enrich our prayer lives, enrich our private lives, but most of all, make us vessels and agents of your word that we might make a difference for the kingdom of God and for the church that you've made us a part of. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.